Welcome to the Tiny Plastic People podcast, the podcast about tiny plastic people. We paint with them, we play on them, and sometimes <laughs> we pretend to be them. So this is a smooth intro for our first go, but you know, I'm going to stick with it. This is a, uh, a Soulbound special, because if you were sick of us bringing up every single podcast, then, well, I've got to say to you, but you, you should listen to this. Um... I am Tom. I've been on this podcast before, at least tiny plastic people once. Uh, joining me today is James. Hello. Rachel. Hello. And new people to the pod, Elaine. Hello. And Mike. Hello. Hello. Uh, right, so uh, Elaine and Mike, you have not been on the podcast before, so I wondered if you wanted to give yourselves uh, an introduction. Um, Mike, would you like to start to us a bit about um, how you got into various hobbies and, and Soulbound? Uh, yeah, so I've been playing Age of Sigmar for three, four years now. Not sure what time is. I picked up one mini just before Age of Sigmar came out. Uh, one, one set of minis and painted half a mini and then bounced off for a while. Uh, and then when the Stormcast Vanguard stuff came out, I saw the Paladors, the Griff Charger Riders, and was like, those are incredible. I'm going to try and get into it. Um, and yeah, painted those. So I've been ticking along painting stuff. I don't paint very quickly because um, I'm lazy, so I don't paint often. So, But over time, I, I've painted like a lot of Stormcast, like four, four or 5,000 points. That's going nicely. Um, and then, yeah, I've also done little bits of RPGs. Um, my, the Soulbound game I play in is the first time I've not been DM um, because like being... Uh, yeah, I, I volunteer to do it, and those are rare. So I'd run little bits of Mouse Guard and Tales from the Loop for people before. Um, I'm very, like, story-y when it comes to uh, um, RPGs. Um, but, like, I like when there's something mechanical there, but I'm not there for, like, um, numbers, numbers. Um, but it's nice to be able to pull on the mechanical levers to do the cool thing. I like that, and to feel like there's some rules there rather than just making it up, but I don't like when the rules go, like, you can't do the thing, because that just makes me a bit sad. Mouse Guard and uh, Tales from the Loop are a little bit different, aren't they? That's, um, that's pretty interesting, rather than the standard D&D that, that not, not there's anything wrong with that, but that's that's, that's the common one, right? So, so Mouse Guard and Tales from the Loop are quite different. That's, um... Yeah, like, everything I've played is D6 dice balls. <laughs> like, um, sort of, oh, right. ironically, because, like, most people, yeah, they're used to, like, maybe uh, D20s, yeah. Um, but like, yeah, all that I've played have this like one thing in common. Nice. I don't think it's deliberate. Cool. All right. Thanks. Um, and Elaine, um, what brought you to Soulbound and I suppose hams and hobbies? Hams and hobbies. Oh gosh. Uh, well, yeah, I'm Elaine. I'm a writer and developer at Cubicle 7. So that's kind of how I got involved in Soulbound. Um, I started freelancing. So sort of buried that lead there, didn't we? But... I'm sorry. <laughs> So I buried that, sort of neglected to mention. <laughs> well, it's fine. It's the surprise, isn't nice. it? Um, yeah, so I was freelancing for Cubicle 7 for about a year, um, doing... Uh, what? Cat. The cat is in the corner. Oh, Sorry. okay. <laughs> okay, God. Sorry, shall we Shall we roll back that a second? I don't know. That's fine. I got distracted. I got... <laughs> Uh, anyway, okay. it's classy. You got it. You know what's what's better than what's better than in an audio medium than also being on video call where your pets can wander in the background. I know, right? 
Anyway, yes, I'm Elaine. I'm <laughs> uh, a writer and developer at Cubicle 7, and uh, that's pretty much how I got into Age of Sigmar for the most part. Um, I, like, grew up in and around Games Workshops um, in my local town, um, but this was back during Specialist Game era as one of the, like, the poorer kids in GW. It was like skirmish games were where I was like, heck yeah. So lots of Necromunda and Mordime and everything. Um, back achieve that game. value. Yeah, right. It's like, give me give me a box of 10 rats or 20 rats and I can play for an entire summer. Um, mm. That was that was my original sort of intro into 40k and back then it was old Warhammer Fantasy. Um, mm-hmm. And then from there... I actually, some of like my first ever like role-playing experiences were sort of doing little narrative battles in Mordheim and stuff. Um, I've got a, an article on the Cubicle 7 blog, which is like my first experience with role-playing, which is about Skaven and Mordheim. Um, and, uh, and yeah, I went off and studied game design, did all these things, wonderful things, bounced around a bunch, and ended up doing freelance writing for Cubicle 7 for a while, and now I'm there full-time, and I... Uh, write for Soulbound and also play with these people in this call during our weekly yeah, game. Nice. I know it's great fun. That's an, that's an hopefully bring an interesting perspective. I'm sure perhaps uh, we might reach at some point where you might have to stay this uh, particularly quiet. But if perhaps if we start speculating, but otherwise it's uh, it would be nice to hear your your thoughts on things. Cool. All right. So um, there's plenty to talk about Soulbound. You've, uh, I've I've certainly done it before. Uh, I'm sure others um, on the Tiny Plastic People podcast have done similarly. Um, but I guess for an overview, um, Soulbound is a role-playing, typical role-playing game set in the Age of Sigmar universe, which is extremely cool because it's massive and expansive and you can do what you want. Um, so I, I one of the things I want to talk about is uh, if you weren't already in on Age of Sigmar, why would you want to play? Why would you want to play Soulbound? Um, I think uh, it's just really good, but I'm interested here. <laughs> your your thoughts? It's, it's it's just really good. It's just good. There we are. That's, that's it. That's our Go home. that's our take. <clears throat> good job, everyone. Um, We've done it. Yeah, <laughs> we've completed it now. Yeah, we've completed Soulbound. Yeah. No, I think it's um. I, there are certain aspects to it which uh, which I think are quite. Special. Turning it on its head, though, do you think it's a hard sell for someone who's not into Warhammer already? That's kind of like one of the questions that I wanted to ask, right? It's like, how do you, how would you get someone who is completely unfamiliar with Warhammer? Or like, mm. is unfamiliar with Warhammer Fantasy or Age of Sigmar? Um, like, maybe they know a little bit about 40k. Um, like, how would you, how would you pitch it to them? I, I tried this actually uh, once. I was I was chatting to somebody and um, so so somebody who was sort of like vaguely aware of Warhammer, but not but not really. And I was I was uh, uh, some people it was at a party and some people had broken out broken up their phones and were showing pictures of their models and stuff. And most people had like Space Marines and things. Um, but I was explaining to this person. I was I, I said to her like, well, you see, it's all well and good. You have Space Marines, but I've, you know that's that's fine. But you've seen Space Marines. Would you? How about elves that live under the sea? Or um, they're good, but also they they're not. They will steal your soul, and um, they're also kind of pirates, but they're also not. Uh, also, they they ride giant fishes, um, and will sort of make you forget the, they came, and then they'll steal your babies. 
Or if you don't like that, there's also the the other good elves um, who are obsessed with blood, but not in a weird way, um, except that it is pretty weird. Um, and the, oh yeah, and the other the other the, the elves that live under the sea, like their god, doesn't like them, so he put them under the sea. Uh, but then they got mad. Um, and I think most factions sort of work out like that. Do you think quite a lot of that's quite intimidating though for someone who is a bit like Warhammer newbie? Uh, I don't know. I, I've certainly tried to, or I, I kind of vaguely tried to convince my partner to play Soulbound with us at some point, and uh, their answer was uh, no. Oh. oh, there's a lot of overhead though, right? Because, um, like, what I think one of the appeals of D and D at this point, by comparison, is that like you kind of know all the tropes going in. Sorry, I was going to say with like D and D, like when you're saying like, why would someone want to play an RPG in like the Age of Sigmar universe? All of us want to play in there because we know how cool it is mm-hmm. already, and we know what we can do. But actually, I was going to say, if I wanted someone to play my Soulbound game and they weren't familiar, I might just tell them it's set in D and D or something, or just like <laughs> no setting, and then just let it be cool. Because actually, like in D and D, like with your realm, like planes it's got like the planes and it's got all that stuff right it isn't just like mm. living coast or whatever it's called i'm gonna annoy D fans by game it's not quite right <laughs> but like there is all that stuff like and you've heard of um ice went down you've heard of some of the places but like there's a lot going on deeper so i think as like fans of aos we're tempted to go like oh we've got this city and it's split between two realms and we've got all this going on and we've got the carriage on overlords but like you don't need to know that going in like your average D player doesn't know that going yeah. in like they don't get given the exam before they start playing i think that's probably what you're starting to say but it's like like you don't need to sell them on it i think mm, like yeah, maybe yeah. that's true i think but there's a level of familiarity with D, right so you have like if you because like even in popular culture people are like oh elves and orcs and stuff and they have they will bring up the sort of lord of the rings-esque thing and not to say that age of sigma doesn't and you know that what i'm saying doesn't play on that slightly but at the same time they might be if you have D orcs and you expect any just like strong green people then like it's not just that right so maybe if they come to age of sigma and discover that they're like football hooligans then they might be like i don't know they might be interesting they, they you know they, they they ride flying cabbages and stuff like that yeah it's just like D has a lot of stuff that like people coming into D don't realize but like mm. no one uses that to say wait you haven't understood this setting. You go, oh, great. This is what you think it is. Cool. Come in. And then they find out about all the weird stuff that they weren't expecting. Mm. Do you think that's part of like the onboarding of D&D, though? Is that oh, D&D is quite... It is the biggest T, uh, mm. T, T, TRPG which is out there. And you can go into Waterstones and pick up the Stranger Things starter box to help someone into their first game. With Soulbound, you have to order that book or get it from your friendly local game shop and kind of know what you're getting into when you spend however much it is on the book, which I've forgotten. Uh, but not if you're playing your friend's starter thing. And like, so your friend doesn't then need to feel the need to go, oh, I should get this person up to speed. They should just be like, I've got the starter. It comes with the like starter like, uh, encounter, like mission, whatever, and just be like, this is how they're going to find out about AOS. Like, they'd probably do the same for you with D and D. So we can mm. with that. Like, that's how you learn about. It. Maybe, maybe the fact that it's because um, presumably, right? If you're going, if you're going to find a GM to do Soulbound, they're going to be quite passionate about Age of Sigma, presumably. And maybe, maybe that's part of the thing that you just let them 
maybe you would just invite somebody. You invite somebody and you say, however like wild do you think D and D was going to be, come play Soulbound, and then just like ramp it up to eleven. And also, um, you're you'll start off as like a pretty tough person. You'll be able to beat the shit out of pretty much anything. And then we'll also turn it up to eleven. So like you know, oh you know, skeleton warriors. Yeah, these are skeleton warriors, but they're not made of. They're made of bone, but they're also like walking statue people, and they like they're made out of like souls that have been hammered together, and also they're really sort of like pot, um, <laughs> and uh, they're they're extremely clever and smart, and they're not like um, sort of old style, and like you know sort of um, Christ, what am I thinking? Old old films where they're like the the put in the, the skeleton warriors. The name is the name is escaping me right now. You know what I mean. Um, the guy with the fleece? Yep. Like that one. Yep. The guy with the fleece. Jason, Jason and the Argonauts. Fucking it. Yeah. Yeah. Jason <laughs> right, so that like, you know, oh, what's it called? Are you talking about stop motion animation? Yeah, that'll do. Yeah. So it's not like, you know, don't think of your skeleton warriors like that. Like take that. But then also they have like giant catapults that are also made of bone. And then also they have a giant dog with like a bone backpack that like walks along and like picks up bones to make more of them as they walk along. I love the idea that someone would come into your soulbound game uh, and experience I see like Bone Reapers and thought you just made them up. Well, like, wow. <laughs> Tom's awesome at world building. And actually, like, because I was thinking, like, you know, would you need to be into AOS to, like, enjoy, like, Nurse's game as much or the little short adventure I ran? And, like, I don't think so. Like, there'd be, like, little references you could extra get. But I, I, I don't think it was like exclusionary. And then mm-hmm. I was thinking, like, I, in, I made up like a monster or two, um, which probably were like we all knew that like I'd made them up because we know what already exists. But I mm. think there's a lot of room where you can just like add your own things and be in keeping. So I was joking about you having made up the AVR, but yeah, well, it's fun actually. One of one of our one of the players in 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 my group is uh, not too familiar with Age of Sigma. So when the goth is a harvester turns up, it's like, what is that? <laughs> like, well, here's a picture of it. It's pretty gross. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> and it just, like, stomps around. So I think it's one of the things. Um, I wrote an article about this for the UK Games Expo coming out this year. Um, and it's like the idea of attuning to any setting in a TTRPG thing is something that you have to do quite quickly, especially if you're in a con or something and there's, like... Mm. 10 different games going on. There are so many cool and exciting systems and worlds out there. What's like your hit list of how do you sit down at the table, get handed a sheet and within five minutes be in the world as a hero or a villain or whatever doing something. So whenever you're coming to sell people on a new setting for a TTRPG, for me personally, the most important things are always, who are we? Uh, What is the sort of general vibe, like the tone of the setting? Um, and what do we do? So for something like Soulbound, who are you? You are God-chosen heroes who are bound together to be goddamn heroes who save the day. Your tones and themes are like, think of like your Marvel-era superheroes, like your Thor, your Iron Man, you're a bunch of heroes, you're gonna, you're gonna go save the day, you're powerful, you're gonna be knocking down mooks and all this sort of stuff. And what are we gonna be doing? You're gonna be, you're gonna be saving the day, you're gonna be like uh, investigating some some big crimes, you're going to be like standing against the tide and that sort of stuff. All of the other wonderful world building things, if someone has pre-knowledge, pre-existing knowledge of those things, it's great because they can suddenly be like 
oh my god, I can be a Kurnoth hunter? That's an 11 foot tall tree person. Um, and they instantly know what that is. Um, but I, I generally try to sort of imagine that those things shouldn't keep someone away. You shouldn't have to like read 10 black library novels mm-hmm. before you understand yeah, Age of Sigmar. And it's something we try to do with a lot of the adventures and everything is build in uh like knowledge and lore boxes and all this sort of stuff into the adventure so that even if the gm doesn't necessarily know the world you can still like sit down and, and run through it and have mm. an adventure yeah I have, this, I have this great fear about like um playing like being a gm for uh someone who knows nothing about warhammer and having to like in the first session just like constantly explain like who who's sigmar <laughs> Why is this his age? Big, you're big. What is his down. age? <laughs> age of Sigma, forty-five. Was it very uh, soon in the design process that it went to that sort of like you are essentially the fantasy Avengers at this point, and that's the starting point for your adventure? Was that pretty much the starting point of the game, or did it start smaller? Um. I wasn't there in the initial pre-production meetings. I came on, uh, I wrote the bestiary for the core book was the first thing I ever did. So I was there sort of after those initial design discussions take place. So I am paraphrasing just to get that out of the way. But my understanding is that, yes, it was quite a quick thing. Uh, the um, So Cubicle 7 also produced Wrath and Glory, which is um, 40k um, set uh, tabletop role-playing game and Warhammer Fantasy 4th uh, edition right now. Um, and Warhammer Fantasy is like one of the longest running Games Workshop tabletop role playing games, uh, but it's what I like to affectionately refer to as gutter punk. So you are mm. you're like a group of people who have like five copper between them. One of you is a pig farmer, uh, one of you is a rat catcher, um, and and one of you is like a a butcher or whatever. And you get embroiled in things that are way above your head, and it's very deadly and terrible, and you're all probably going to die. Hence gutter punk. Everything's dirty mm. and grimy and bad. So Age of Sigmar, Soulbound, is like the complete opposite of that. It's it's like you've mentioned, Tom, everything's dialed up to 11, you're, you're great heroes, and uh, you're, you're doing all this crazy stuff. So I think that was quite a, an early design decision, was like, well, we don't just want another gutter punk thing. And the way that the mortal realms are, with like different realms, and there's Caradron skyships, and there's crazy sea elves and you can play an 11 foot tall tree person um, or whatever it sort of lent itself well to that avengers guardians of the galaxy type vibe mm. um, i suppose the uh, the gutter punk is you maybe your campaign is you go through a, a, a more time equivalent campaign mm-hmm. whereas in soulbound in your first session you free more time you just you, <laughs> just, you just kill everybody <laughs> and it's fine now <laughs> yeah i think the example we use is that in um, Warhammer fancy role-playing game. Uh, something like a blood letter, which is kind of like a minor demon in the grand scheme of things, but that's going to murder you. Like, if you're, if <laughs> you're locked in... kill you. Yeah, if you're locked in a room with a blood letter, you're not coming out of that room outside of some grand luck. Actual um, miracle. But in Soulbound, blood letters are like minions, so you can kill like four around. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? Um, yeah. So it's definitely... Definitely very, very different power scales. And it's something that some people who come from D&D need accustomed to because the benchmark on average is if people are used to playing D&D, which is, again, quite low magic in the grand scheme of things. 
uh, like a starting soulbound character is equivalent of like maybe a level 10 character in D&D. Mm. Out of the gate, you're already slinging fireballs that like can lay waste to units and all sort of stuff. Um, if people play Exalted at all, um, which is a which is a rarer system, um, it's got a similar thing. But there's there's maybe going to be a couple of people who uh, who listen to the pod who are going to be like, oh shit, Exalted, okay, <laughs> cool. Yeah, maybe maybe uh, in Soulbound you're killing the um, what was it called Wrath and no wait not we're not Wrath and Glory. Well, you're killing the Warhammer Fantasy role playing game characters. You're you're killing a few of them every round. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Oh god, that'd be terrifying to come up against a, a Soulbound party in Warhammer Fantasy. That would not be good. That would not be good at yeah. all. That power creep is really fun because my Soulbound knights actually coincide with my partner's D&D nights. So we come out afterwards and it's just like, oh, so what did you do in that game? It's like, oh, we chased a wheel of cheese down the road. What did you do? <laughs> oh, we killed a greater demon. Yeah, just whatever. It's Casually. fine. We, we slammed a ship into it. It was fine. Yeah, we just rammed it. This giant space frigate and it was fine. It's not a problem. You also do tend to just like chase wheels of cheese or just get into interminable arguments with NPCs or... Mm take a one-line <laughs> joke and spend half an hour investigating mm-hmm. it like mm-hmm. power level cannot protect you from that stuff i think that's on your players at that point though i think it's all players though <laughs> yeah, every player has this, every player has this problem i enjoy that actually about it that that it does scale to having uh, not being a particularly uh, it, i'm very fresh to ttrpgs really like before soulbound i basically played fiasco and a little bit of tales of the loop so going into soulbound it was quite a one a jump from random improv or being a child to um you can now crush people with the power of the sea which is fun but making sure that it has those characterful elements and things inside it where your party has an argument with a barkeeper every now and then and maybe threatens to kill them and they're suddenly very threatened by that because you are incredibly powerful or things like that it's it's really nice scale to the game that it is very marvel in that sense yeah yeah this it's funny we keep that that, that marvel that avengers sort of thing I've I've heard it before, but actually, it rings truer and truer the more I think about it. In in a good way, it's um, you can, you can make it what you want actually, actually, but the power level is still there. But you can still add the I was going to say humanity. That's probably not quite the right phrase, but the sort of like the the grounded groundedness of it is still present if you want it. So you you still need to sleep somewhere, <laughs> whatever. Yeah. You still need to find the inn to go to sleep. You still need to talk to people, otherwise they won't help you. But at the same time, you can't just sort of like like James says, you can just summon the power of the um, the ethersy and and crush them and kill them instantly. Should you need to and turn your party evil, and you go, you know. We were talking about like that um, Avengers thing the other day in terms of like the pacing and the the stuff that you do, right? So it's not just like, oh, I'm playing like an emotional character, or or something emotional happens in a scene, and therefore my character is sad now for the rest of the episode and probably shouldn't do anything. Like, we're in a Avengers movie. I'm going to have the scene where my character cries and then immediately kills 15 people and then has a shout and then goes and kills some more people and then maybe has a little rest to feel better. Yeah, like, rather makes like, a cool quip. Yeah, everything is just by scenes almost, right? It's just like, and forget the rest. Like, we're in an action movie here. Like, mm. don't have to, like, take 
a mood or anything and then extend it and just like for the whole thing we can jump around so like yeah so i've, I've actually only ever played that true yeah i've only ever played D D outside to, uh, as, the, as the only other ttrpg i've played um and that you know as we said is, is all uh d20s and skill tricks and stuff but soulbound is uh d6 and dice pools and successes and things i was a bit intimidated at first but actually it's very straightforward <laughs> it's really nice to run actually and it's uh the only thing I have there is 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 worrying about how to set difficulty because when you have a when you have a number that runs from zero, one, zero to twenty, you know ten is the middle, and that's for something that's not sort of middle difficult. Um, but I mean, of course, there is a handy table in the core book, um, better to refer to that. But otherwise, it's quite a nice thing. Um, so for the other of you, there are others of you which have played other TTRPGs versus Soulburn, what are their sort of what are interesting mechanics and uh, Things that it implements that you that stand out. Zones. I love zones. They're so good. I love zones. They're so good. So, Rachel, what are zones? Uh, so, instead of having, like, when you're in a combat encounter, uh, instead of moving around on, like, a grid, um, you have uh, zones. So, your sort of combat arena, whatever it is, whether it's a the deck of a ship or uh, the walls of a city or, uh, you know, um, a ritual site on a mountain and um, it will be divided up into um, zones and a zone is kind of just an arbitrary area um, that can be kind of any size really and you just you just do all of your movement in terms of zones um, and what's great about it is that it facilitates both um, sort of theatre of the mind play and also it's you can you can just draw a map of the combat arena if it's reasonably complicated and like have little pogs or whatever to represent different players um characters and monsters and that sort of thing um yeah it's just um it's much more fluid uh much more expressive uh the vagueness of it is uh nice you're not thinking about like am i 15 feet away from the goblin you're thinking am i in the same zone as the goblin um uh yeah i think it's it when i when i first um basically i'd only really ever played D before and even then not very much um and i remember finding it very tedious moving around on the grid um and wanting to just be like i run up to the thing and hit it which is basically what you do anyway in D. Mm. um and uh uh having this um it's not so abstract that you can't like uh visualize it in any way but it is um abstract enough that you can you can just it's fluid i don't know i don't know how the system's handling, but i also really like it like because when i, I dm'd for D, and it was always a thing of like well you know we try and play by the rules but also you can only move 15 feet in a in a you know, as an example you can only move 15 feet and this guy as well he's 17 feet away so i guess technically you can't get there but we'll just you know i guess in the interest of it i'll just let you move over there but it feels kind of weird and like you know actually Soulbound, yeah, he's in, he's in his own. He's, he's just close enough. You can just run. It basically, it, it divides most things in type. Close enough or too far. Yep. And that's, that's basically all you need um, in the reality of it. And that's I think that's a really elegant solution. I think it's really nice. And I don't know if any other systems have that sort of thing. I'm very uh, cinematic when I'm running combats and everything. I always like um, to sort of think of those ways. Um, mm. So whenever I'm dealing with zones, I think of them like shots in a camera. Like if you're imagining an action scene in like 
for Pirates of the Caribbean, say, for example. Um, and if you think about people taking turns, like the camera shifting to like different mm-hmm. people on the ship, it's like, how boring would it be if the camera sh- like swished swished over to Jack Sparrow and you saw him run towards someone but then stop because he's like two foot away and then we cut over below deck and you've got like Will Turner fighting someone and and all that sort of stuff um and the you know it's whereas with the zones it's like the top deck is a zone so you're fighting on the deck and you know Mm -hmm. on your turn you can move anywhere in your zone and attack someone and you're not having these arbitrary mechanical restrictions uh, stopping your narrative cool moments and then your below deck would be another zone and then up high flying on the the masts as well like you can do a lot more vertical things with zones you can have the sky above the ship is just a zone um and all these sorts of things would you have a poop deck zone (laughs) i just wanted to say that i don't have a point the poop zone i do love the zone thing for um like yeah, you 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 get the sense of like tactical positioning without having to like. I guess it's not so much just like invest the time or like thinking into it. It's also like having any loss of that because like it'd suck if you move somewhere on this turn and then next turn you're just out of range and like soulbound zones completely take that away, right? Because mm-hmm. you end up in a zone, yeah, and therefore know that like anything in your zone, like that's the zone you're in. You don't have to think about like oh, I should hide behind the second pillar because that's going to be close enough. If they're mm. in the same zone, then like you're all set. It makes no odds. It is It is more cinematic because you can describe it in terms of I'm hiding behind the pillars or whatever. Right? Well, that's the thing. I have found that I haven't been doing that. I realised recently because it is just zones. I've found myself like not describing or even thinking about like where I am in the zone Like, and I could do more of that Like, because mm. it wouldn't have a mechanical effect. So I don't necessarily think too... But it would enhance the storytelling if I did. So, like, I'm thinking in terms of, like, I run up and hit him and then stay in the zone. Cool, I stay in the zone, but what does that look like? I I could hide behind a barrel. I could be doing something like that. It doesn't matter for the rules, so I don't have to worry about it. But I should still do it to make it cooler. And, Mm. yeah, I found myself just thinking in terms of, like, oh, I move from this zone into that zone. Hit him with sword. Stay in zone. Like, I can make it cooler. I should. Mm. Yeah, I think it puts mm. a bit onto the player at that point to be like, I'm going to describe what I do a bit more all of the time when you're attacking. It's not like that, oh, you've killed them, how did you kill them? It's just like, oh, I sliced their head off and then booted it into their friend's head. Um, but it's a bit more like, you could just play it like, oh, I am in this zone, I will cast my magic, and now I will stand and take all the hits from everything else in the zone. It's like, no, I dive into the zone, I punch this person and I fire water into that person's face and then splash him a little bit and then i take cover behind this other thing which is just like a vague description in the zone and it does make it a bit more player driven the combat rather than just rolling dice and Uh you you wouldn't be able to do that kind of like um uh describing what you're doing if you're playing on a grid because Mm. you feel like oh i I move three squares and then i (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I, I, I move three squares and strike him, but I only move two squares towards the pillar again to hide because I can't. I don't have enough movement to finish. Yeah, it actually has reminded me of the one time I played D and D with some people, and I said, "Oh, can I do this?" And the DM and I, I described this cool scene. I think it was like I want to just pull the arrow out of the goblin's head and then stab his friend with the arrow. <laughs> and the DM just said, "No." <laughs> <laughs> 
See, that would be, that would be an improvise in, uh, in Soulbound, which is another thing I like about the sort of combat system, which is one of the options is just make shit up. Just make it up. I also, the other thing about the zones is that, that although we're talking about it as if it's abstracted, there is still enough nuance in it because you'd have the concept of sort of like being in a, a, a melee with, mm-hmm. with somebody versus being in the same zone. So there is still levels of detail which get used and are still useful for describing that, which is, which is nice. It's, it strikes a really nice balance, I think. Um, does anybody know any other games that use anything similar there must be do, is, is as far as we know zones I'm an RPG baby I never, so I don't know yeah, well, <laughs> me, me too but I don't know if anybody else is <laughs> there's definitely other systems that use theatre of the mind with, with zones and the likes um, I really like it yeah. well it's certainly well implemented in Soulbound I know that much I did have an encounter well a whole session actually in a game I ran which, which one James are in where I, we were crossing this um, like valley, where there were like tremors, like rock worm things popping up, uh, and also they were being attacked by loads of chaosy stuff, and it was dotted with these woods, which were like safe spots. And basically, for the whole session, I'd gridded it up as the zones, and the whole session, while they were like progressing and various things were attacking from different sides, we were just in combat for the whole time. And yeah, I don't know. If it was entirely successful, um, but I think it was quite quite interesting. It yeah. let us have like that layer of like the combatty uh, positioning, um, whilst also being able to zoom out way further. Like if you did that with D and D, you maybe wouldn't have that zoomed out sense of where you were going. Yeah, it's very it's very because like when you do like I found what I do is I do like, I draw maps. Um, if if the combat arena is particularly complicated, I will draw a map of it. Um, and you have a lot of freedom about how you present it because you're destroying zones. So you can draw a really pretty picture of like a nice forest or something and then just draw some lines to indicate where the zones are and stuff like that. You don't need to draw a neat grid or anything. Mm. Um, but I do have, um, this is a little bit of a spoiler for, uh, my three players who are in this, uh, in this call, but I've got an encounter coming up that is, um, it's got a lot of zones. It's just a big sort of map. Um, most of the zones will not be travelled into, but that is not the point. Nice. Our games that you run, like, really, I felt like a, over maybe two or three weeks, it was like a massive step up in the quality as, like, you kind of found your feet with the arena design and, like, the zones and, and that stuff for the encounters. Like, that really brought out all of the stuff, I think, from, like, the rule set that was there. As you were like, oh, I understand like what I can do with this now, and like, so those are like a yeah. massive highlight. I don't just have to have a zone in the middle, a zone on the left, and a zone on the right. <laughs> I can do more than this. <laughs> Three zones, <laughs> just enough. Uh, so, uh, in addition to zones, another thing I really, I was thinking about the other day was uh, is is talent. Yeah, which is like um, how to describe it, but they're basically sort of imagine you had sort of class skills, but Instead of being class skills, they're just skills, and anybody can take them if you meet the requirement. And that there are, I just love. Uh, it's very, I think it's very smart because it, it's very expandable, right? So as as new expansions come out, there are new talents, and yeah, you can, you know, this. It's not just you. It won't just be, uh, you know, an expansion for wizards, and it's just there's nothing in there if you're a fighter. Sucks to be you. Like, there's, it's never like that. It's like, well, even if you are a fighter, if you happen to meet the requirements, take this new wizardy talent and do a new cool thing because there's nothing to say you can't and like that that ends up making um it feels very free and you end up making a lot of uh, interesting choices and building a building a character basically however the hell you want yeah 
and sort of cast off the shackles of any concept of class that you really uh, have, and um, you are free of that 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 particular class struggle to um, <laughs> to to make the character you want. I, I think that's really nice. Yeah, it's quite a core design principle with the system in general. Um, is that even when you pick an archetype, um, which is like our version of classes, that just represents what you were before you became soulbound. Mm. Um, so the starting even, point, right? Yeah. Um, after that, uh, you have access to all the talents. You can level up in whatever way you like. Um, uh, and there's like there are some talents that are locked to species or uh, something like that, you know. But for the most part. It's it's free for all, and we even have complete freeform character generation in there. So if you can't find an archetype you like the look of, um, you can very easily make it yourself because it's all just based on like spending points. Yeah. Mm. Um. So the talents work really well with that. It's always really good just to give people more options. Yeah. Yeah. So some somebody in my group has just um used an, another of the core cool things, which I'll I'll come back to, which is um dying but making it really cool <laughs> um and so her new character is is an osteop bone roof and so she's made she's built you something from the from the ground up to build something that feels really right and having chosen particular you know magical particular spells and what have you and particular selections of skills and things that feel really thematic for what an obr might be and that's that's really nice so you know even because naturally there there is <laughs> there, the number of archetypes is limited by time and effort but the um effort available is uh but you know nothing to stop you making whatever the hell character you want that's uh extremely cool yeah i think the talents is a standout for me and it's both like the way you can just like yeah they're not like super like class locked and stuff like that but like just the fact that they give you this like really powerful lever to do a thing rather than just like having your stats up and obviously that's not unique to this at all but like Tom, in our game, both of our characters have, like, relatively high body. Like, yours has just gone up, sort of restarted him. But, like, but otherwise, play we play really differently in terms of what we do. And, like, so my character's got the opportunist thing, which means he gets an attack of opportunity. That's, like, not normally a thing. So if you're used to D&D, when someone moves away, because my character's got this talent, he gets to make that that shot. And because of the power level, that's probably like a big deal that he gets to take a shot. That's probably killing something. Um, and it's just like, it's an amazing character moment. Makes me feel very smug and my <laughs> character. Um, but like, that's just like a little plug on thing for a couple of XP. And, you know, the level to get hold of that isn't a big deal. You could easily have taken it if you wanted to on yours. But like, you've chosen not to. You've taken something else. I've taken this. And like, now our characters just like feel the way they do and get to like exercise this big effect rather than just going like oh when I hit it it squishes them more <laughs> like I get to break the rules mm. um, yeah they they really they really change how each one you take really sort of quite fundamentally changes well not necessarily fundamentally but but really like will give you a a proper new thing you can do right so you're not just slightly improving your dice odds or whatever like it changes how you can play things like. You know, like the uh, like the spell casting one that allows you to not affect uh, targets in an area if you've got an area of effect spell, like that. If you didn't have that, from going from not having that to having it, like changes things massively, right? Because now you can cast giant fireballs at your friends, 
and the things they're being attacked by. But now your friends will be fine, whereas before they might have been a bit annoyed at you. It also helped that I actually read the rules between games to learn that I could mm. actually do that. That Yeah, <laughs> that mean that probably helped you a little bit. It yeah. does uh, does help. I, I want to shout out the magic system where you can just make up your own spell. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have not yeah. pulled the levers on that yet, but I wish to at some point <laughs> because it sounds very fun. Sounds very dangerous. Uh, Elaine's character has, uh, like, you made a spell which is like, um, you make like shadowy wolverine claws come out of your hands and then you go and slash people up with them. It's very cool. <laughs> yeah, for anybody who is a fan of the Elder Scrolls games back when they used to let you make your own spells or whatever, it's a really <laughs> nice system of just like, okay, I want this to hurt everybody in this zone um and and do this effect or whatever and then you just have like the mechanical thing and then you just you know slap some flavor on it so it's a very flexible system and an absolute nightmare to balance sometimes <laughs> yeah i was gonna say are, are there limits on it presumably it's bounded somewhat it's bounded to the difficulty so the more crazy stuff you do the harder it gets to cast oh i see okay um we just put out we balance just... is for cowards <laughs> <laughs> Uh, it's not just, called soul balance <laughs> we just released uh, steam and steel which is our big crafting companion um and it's got a lot of similar stuff in there so it essentially opens up the design language and the tools that we use mm-hmm. to make stuff in-house so like whenever we look at a gun that's on a model or whatever in the battle game uh we have to like translate it or a spell or whatever so it opens up all that stuff again so you're like hey you want to make crazy caradron guns here's how you do it um, and there's a big section on alchemy and potions and all this stuff. But again, it's like lots of cool systems to let player make the stuff. But also, oh my gosh, you could just destroy the system <laughs> if you don't keep an eye on your players. Yeah. Is, is is that really close then to the system that you use in C7? Or is it like an abstraction? No, it's very close. Um, there's also a degree of art to it um, in terms of, yes, it would be... It, it is very easy sometimes to make something that is just unbalanced in the same way that like as a G the way I think about it, it's strange, right? If you're playing TTRPGs, nobody complains at the fact that technically the GM could drop 10 mega gargants on your group and kill them. Wait, I can do Would that. Would that be, I mean, <laughs> would it be fun? No, Yes. of course not. <laughs> no, it would not be fun. It would be hilarious for two minutes, and then everyone would hate you. <laughs> I know you're not that sort of GM. Right? I'm sorry. Oh, I'm not sure. Well, I put a, I put a mega guardian in front of you, and you talked it not. You talked it into not attacking Talk you. It yeah. <laughs> it's a great character moment, right there. But I suppose, uh, uh, but so the balance of those things is uh, is left as an exercise for the reader. Mm-hmm. Kind of. Like, there's some balancing systems in there, like I say, in terms of adding these different aspects, as we call them. So the amount of damage it does, the range of it, and all these sorts of crazy things. Um, they all do factor into the, the difficulty at the end of the day. Like, how hard it is to cast, or how much it costs to craft, or whatever. Um, but there's still a, a degree of, you know, art to it, because it, you can make something that breaks it. Um, if you really want to. But again, as with anything TTRPG, there's a lot of social contract stuff. Um, you're not playing competitive Age of Sigmar battle game uh, where you're trying to beat the GM. Um, you know, so I, I always... Sometimes you are. 
Just gonna let that out. Sometimes, sometimes. I do not. I, I certainly do not recommend it. You're there to tell a cool and exciting story. I, I killed the mega boss, so I'm pretty happy with that. Yeah. I did. You dueled him to death. It was fantastic. Um. Anyway, that's uh, Steam and Steel available now on <laughs> Cubicle Seven <laughs> Games. Available now in PDF and pre-order. Um. I think like that comes to like a really important point that I love about Soulbound is there's such an emphasis on like player creativity. Um, and particularly as like, this is my first time GMing, um, a game, it almost like takes some of the pressure off the GM to be like the person who comes up with the solutions to every problem or who decides what to do or whatever. Like the players themselves are given so many opportunities to, um, sort of choose new talents that change their character or like create some new spells or create some new technology or whatever. Um, whereas like, you know, the GM just needs to go off and like come up with adventures for them to do. Um, but it's, it's really up to the players, um, to go and do like the other half of the, all of the creative stuff. Mm. So I don't know. It's very nice. I like that's it. A, that's a, yeah. that's a, I think that's a, that's a nice thing about GMing in a, in a lot of saying. If people are keeping up their short and long term goals as well, that also helps the GM make <laughs> stories, right? <laughs> <laughs> I think it's one of those things that really helped with the um, with the Age of Sigmar setting for, I guess, us as a group because we're familiar with the setting. So if someone says mm. you are a or James is an Eidneth Tidecaster, I kind of know a bit of the lore behind them and sort of feel I know what they can do in the world as well. So it really helped mm-hmm. in that sense. Even if I didn't take a talent to do something, I could always ask the GM. It's just like they're meant to be kind of forgettable characters does that mean they can make other people forget things and you've got spells to do that can i do that in a more talky situation and is that rude and it turns out yes it is very rude but no i am going to try and do that because i'm an elf yeah it's nice i i also like a lot of how the the social conscious stuff is literally written in the book Right, there, there, there are there are paragraphs in this book of how not to be a dick, and that's just really nice to read sometimes. Yeah, and when you were talking about the spells, like I remember looking at that because like I've been thinking like maybe my character gets into spellcasting at some point, and like one well, one of the spells I'd maybe have in mind isn't covered by that cause just like the effect. It's like I was looking through and it's like oh, it doesn't give like the effect I want, but like everything in that book, like points me just to go well i'm just gonna talk to the gm like i'm not gonna worry about this i'm just gonna be like right this is what i want the spell to do can we work it out and you're just gonna go yeah like and it's partly that like from group to group our group is very like willing to to do that and i think we would be anyway kind of in any game we'd probably be playing D a bit like that yeah um because it's our personal preference and soulbound aligns to it really well so I can see, like, you know, if you want to play Soulbound a bit more strict to the word, you, you could. And then maybe it'd be a bit more rude of me to just be like, I'm using the rules as a guideline when the rest of the grief isn't. But, like, mm. the, the book, I think, does a good job of setting that tone to go, like, we've come up with a load of ideas. It's not exhaustive. Yeah, it's, it's very much, it, 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 it feels like it pushes a lot throughout of being like, this is just one way. It's, you can do what you want, right? Because it's just a game. <laughs> A lot of things say that, though, but I think it really, like, delivers on that, like, because that can annoy me sometimes when it's like, it's just a guideline. It's like, I don't want a guideline. Like, this is really precise. I need telling. This game doesn't need that. I like the section of the core book uh, that's about um, GMing, and it has, like, a bunch of 
optional or like alternative rules you can use, like um, the grim and perilous stuff, where you you you're the gutter punks, <laughs> um, which is really fun to do. Um, we did a little short mini campaign as a as a like a break from our main campaign where the players are all um, like just level one chumps. Absolutely rubbish. <laughs> Absolutely rubbish at heroes in massive air quotes. A really specialised priest in my game. <laughs> could do, in my case. Could do one thing. Uh, it's just this um, yeah, former scout leader, like pr- priest of Grungni, and like had three metal. So it was like a really competent um, priest, but any other check rolled one dice for. Like literally every other, because anything else was like just like um, one body, no skills, no other talent. Everything was just about being able to do like these incredible prayers. And then, yeah, she had a last stand, and uh, it was glorious. And it was a really fun exercise of like, I didn't have to balance anything. I was just like, she does this one thing, and she does it great. And like, we weren't. Tr- I wasn't trying to like do it for maximum mechanical effect i was trying to do it for like maximum story fun and drama effect right so like yeah. i was thinking about those fights of like pacing it of like when do i drop this to be the most fun and i could center my entire like combat around like when i'm gonna drop this big prayer and then try and sustain it really different from when you're prepared yeah, they had me had my um, elf greatsworder who similarly <laughs> rolled one dice, except he had the sever talent. So if if on his two attack dice he rolled a six, it was he chopped something's arm off, <laughs> fully chop it off. Otherwise, did absolutely awful. That was quite fun. I think um, I would say because so that's the subsection of the core rules, right? The grim and perilous. Yeah. I think long term. I would suggest that the satisfaction, maybe maybe it's just, just a personal thing, but personally, the, the long-term satisfaction is building up those talents and building up something yeah. interesting and, and a new thing like that. Anyway, my point about that section was just like, it's um, like the the designers uh, want you to hack the game however you want to sort of fit your players and preferences, which is nice. Definitely feels like that. It's always fun first. Um, it's what we try to what we try to do and put as put as many tools in the player's hands as you can, uh, hopefully without destabilizing the entire game. Um, but as mentioned, it does mean that you know you got to have some social contracts going on. You just got to make sure that everyone is on the same page, and you're not going to do that. I've found one way of breaking the game, and I'm going to spam this until my players hate me or until the GM hates me. <laughs> Well, I mean, I will do that a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone looking at patient strike. Seize the initiative. Seize the initiative. Patient strike. Three hits in one, yeah. in one go. It's fine. Using it's using fine. rend and piercing at the same time. Yeah, it's oh, beautiful. It's, it's beautiful. It's something else. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's about uh, twenty four yeah. dice. Yeah. Like the the uh, the point about. Tom's character is that he uh, there there is scope if you're the kind of player who like Tom uh, will find some kind of like uh, I don't know not necessarily like an exploit but kind of like a a way to um, and, and and a combination yeah a combination, like a combination. to get that sort of gets at the edge of the rule set and becomes quite powerful then uh, that is an option and so I'd say the apogee of the rule set <laughs> <laughs> rather than the edge it's the peak. <laughs> 
If you want to role play One Punch Man, essentially, yeah, yeah, possible yeah. with the one right talents. Um, yeah, there's um, there's a video going around, uh, which is someone supercutting the fight between Neo and Agent Smith in the subway train in the Matrix, <laughs> and it's just if you if you're googling, um, it's I can't remember. It's like Neo Smith if he only discombobulated him and they've like it's that bit where he throat punches him but they've changed every every punch to be a throat punch (laughs) (laughs) and it is hilarious and also the perfect visual for me as to why i dislike when people do the same thing like they find the optimal attack in ttrpg and then do the same thing Mm. every turn because i'm like it's just silly and it's it's just like what this does not make for like a crazy interesting fight scene if you're just like and i use my ultimate attack it's like anime right if they just if they just use the ultimate attack every turn you know that's not there's fight scenes should have story and arcs and drama and it should be an up and down back and forth thing um, but this has been getting true. into big GM brain over here. So, I don't <laughs> Do know. you think that a little bit of that is on the players as well to make sure that they're having fun as well with those kind of fights? Because I did find when I was in both of the characters which I've had in Soulbound, like the first one is a mage and I only accidentally, I kind of only took two spells which I could cast and one of them was way more effective. So it's like, well, it looks like I'm shooting that again because that's the effective one. And then I had to really actually go back to the rules myself and go, I'm getting a bit bored of these fights. I need to spice things mm-hmm. up. And then I discovered I could cast darkness and try and crush people with the power of the sea, which has never happened, which is upsetting me. <laughs> and then with my second character, I was like, oh, I'm going to go with like a rifle shooting character. And with a rifle shooting character, they're good at one thing, which is shooting a rifle. <laughs> so... <laughs> Again, I had to kind of make it more interesting for myself at that those points to kind of like go, actually, he's going to lose it a bit. He's going to run up and try and clonk someone on the head yeah. or try and stuff his rifle into the mouth of the enemy to do these things. Yeah. But... Some of that is on the GM, though, because mm. it's up to the GM to cr- create encounters that like make it so that you can't play optimally or like, you know, there's going to be like <laughs> something that traps you or like makes it so that instead of using your gun to shoot the enemy, you need to use your gun to shoot the rope that's attached to your party member and they're trapped as mm. you shoot the rope and then they're going to escape and go and do the attack. I don't know. It's, uh, mm. it's, it's, Rather than just straight fights. It's definitely thing. like, mm-hmm. it's a, it's a, it's a thing you do together as a group. Um, yeah. Mm. One of my favorite mm. moments actually in, there was a question about what is one of our top soulbound moments and uh, one of them was realising that my gun could be used and figure out that we're playing in Tremors rules now, so shooting somewhere <laughs> else to attract nice. enemies over to the thing. And it's a very video gamey sort of manoeuvre. I was just playing the uh, Plague Tale Innocence, which is basically a that the game. Uh, if you play <laughs> that, it's quite good. Very French. Um, but not French, but very French. Um, but that rule of just like, oh, I'll shoot over there and attract someone over there, and then everyone else runs the other way was just a really mm-hmm. nice use of, like, I feel like I'm only using my gun to shoot things in the face. Why did you choose a gun, James? Because I wanted to shoot stuff in the face. <laughs> yes, <laughs> but now think, James, come on. <laughs> you have this tool. Yeah. You apply it. Yeah. Yeah, I don't think it's why if um, you look at most of the the published adventures and everything one of the things we always try to do is make sure that there's more going on than just a fight to the death because most of the time when you're looking at 
uh, fight scenes for superheroes or any sort of narrative thing, mm-hmm. it's not re- you're not really worried that the heroes are going to lose. So if you go into an action scene and there's nothing going on other than two people punching each other to for the sake of punching each other, then it's not got much dramatic tension. It's not got much dramatic stakes. There needs to be something else going on. Mm-hmm. There needs to be an innocent over there that needs protected from the bad things. There needs to be a countdown timer until the bomb goes off that's going to cause these big problems or whatever. Um, and throwing a lot of those cool things in there for your players um, always really helps make sure that people don't just walk into a combat scene and do the exact same action every turn because it's like, well, I mean, you could stand there and use your fireball, but that person's going to slide off on the edge and die. Um, So you should probably go do something about that, which you can't solve by throwing a fireball. Um, (laughs) Furiously here taking notes at these two meetings. (laughs) <laughs> uh, well, well, I believe there's a publication. <laughs> yeah, there's a, the Soulbound Bestiary does have a wonderful section written by myself on designing combat encounters, so that they are, yeah. you know, including a random complications table <laughs> where you can literally. I, ro- I, I, I can't deal with random complications, like. <laughs> but even then, as an inspiration, right? thrown it, yeah, yeah, you mm-hmm. roll it and go, oh, I didn't want that one, and you pick yeah. a different one. Yeah. The way I'd use that is like if you're really stumped, you'd. Um, and you're like, okay, I need to come up with a, some, a few encounters for my next session. Um, you could you could then use that for inspiration, I think. That's, that would be my approach. Yeah. Roll some dice sometimes and see what comes up. And be like, oh, that sounds cool. See what yeah, I can do. That's definitely how it's intended. Cause it's not, like, not like on the spot. <laughs> you're no, like, oh, no. <laughs> uh, you walk into the room and there's a rolls dice. 15 beast men with rolls dice. <laughs> a waterfall <laughs> with rolls dice. Poison? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I've seen those things for the likes of D&D before, but I don't find them quite as useful as something that gives you like thematic ideas. So that's kind of what we tried to put in the, the bestiary, which is like, okay, the the problem, it's like the complication going in is that you need to escort someone across a battlefield. And we leave the number of enemies, what that battlefield is, what are the enemies, mm. what is the escort person, all up to your GM and your imagination. Um, but uh, it sort of it helps with that those ideas trying to generate those ideas and get people doing something more than walking into arena fights. Yeah, because the easy bit is flicking through the bestiary and going, "Oh, it's going to be a breakout statement." Like the the bit that I'd want, I'd need more help with is like, how can I use that to make a more interesting encounter? Like, and what? Yeah, what mm-hmm. would the complication be like? what stops my players just straight up fighting it like why mm. is james's guy shooting it straight in the face mm. why is that not going to be what he obviously does next turn mm-hmm. um or he does in the next turns after he tried shooting it in the face because that is what james seems to go to <laughs> <laughs> i guess one of one of the things i know, I know it's addressed in the beast during this in this encounter design but actually i need to pay a bit more attention to it, is is the balance because uh I think maybe does it does it work with the Marvel analogy? Kind of, like where sometimes you know there'll be it'll be five of them and they'll be fighting in you know the Avengers will be fighting an entire army and just absolutely laying waste to it. And other times you know when it when it's right for the plot, but also it doesn't sort of make a huge amount of sense. They'll just get like you know they get they get punched by the the grunt that manages the two grunts that manage to hold them back for a second. Like um, <laughs> yeah, and I don't know how to balance it. Um, but I probably need a bit more assistance in, in doing that but otherwise it's pretty good maybe we should do another another podcast that's like um 
uh, soul bound, uh, I don't know, workshop <laughs> where you, you, you come and pose a particular problem and talk about how as a GM you try and solve it or as a player you try to solve it. I don't know. Okay, cool. That's I've an interesting idea. encounter design streams before um, mm. where I'll sit down and design some soulbound encounters on stream. I've done those before. Um, and there's also a couple of blog posts from myself on the Cubicle 7 website as well which are about um, designing right. encounters. Okay, make show notes. That's the thing. Yeah, show notes are <laughs> gonna a go thing. In there. We'll gonna those. go in there. <laughs> They're going to go in there and point this because that sounds uh, that sounds extremely rad, like something I probably need to read. Like all content creators, they say the idea and then it's like, oh, someone's also actually created that content for you. Yeah. You realise that. Man, if only, if only there was this thing. Well, there is the thing here, <laughs> uh, this, this exact thing in this other place. Well, all right. Yes, but I nice. didn't do it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that doesn't mean that you can't do it, of course. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Heck, I'll come along and be like... I know you're wrong, actually. <laughs> uh, actually, I think you'll find it. Nice. What are other people's favourite, uh, you know, some top Solbar moments so far? Like, what exemplifies the setting that you've Yeah, I think, um, like, one of the moments that's really stuck with me was, like, the first time I played Soulbound um, was uh, Elaine was GMing um, and we were playing the the uh, Crash and Burn adventure, um, which is, like, a prelude to the sort of starter set. Um and you're all on a like Caradron airship uh, that gets embroiled in a in a big battle and gets attacked by lots of um, nasty beastmen and things like that that are flying around. And um, one of the members of the party, um, <laughs> uh, concluding that the enemies were too far away to hit with his axe, tied a rope around his belt. And then jumped off of the edge of the airship so that he could hit the enemies with his axe. <laughs> and then, and then, uh, he was, he, there was like a few turns where he was like swinging around underneath the, underneath the ship and like hitting enemies as he, uh, as he came up. Um, <laughs> mm-hmm. and then, uh, like the, the ship was going down and there was like everyone had to work together to pull him up before the, before the ship hit the ground. Which physically doesn't actually make that much sense now that I think about it. Wouldn't he be trailing above the ship? Don't think about if the it. the ship was falling? N- never mind. Um, anyway, that's stuck with me. <laughs> it's just very cinematic and cool. And the rules just kind of supported it. It's cool. Yeah, that's pretty awesome. Yeah, the number of times I've heard people retelling their experiences with Crash and Burn, and it's like, and then the witch elf jumped onto the, the disc and started fighting a beastman <laughs> as they flew around the sky, and I'm like, <laughs> excellent. <laughs> <laughs> Just as designed. Just as designed. It's a Crash and Burn, which you can uh, find on oh, cubicle7.com. Yeah. <laughs> Crash and Burn. It's the free free adventure that I also wrote. Um. Okay. Nice. We've all... Elaine made us sign a contract that we would only talk about stuff she <laughs> specifically had written. I think it's this more just true. you're going to actually struggle to find something that I haven't written. Um, <laughs> <laughs> been involved what about in Stars and Scales? I didn't actually. It's it is one of the few things that was Casey She. Um, she's a great writer. Got it. And uh, I was not involved in Stars and Scales. That's great. Not to cast and uh, not to cast any exposures or, or shade on anything you've written, Elaine. But Stars and Scales is um, peak for me. <laughs> very much your jam. Isn't it? <laughs> it's very much my jam. I'm not gonna lie. Uh, for the for the confused listener, uh, Stars and Scales is a supplement that adds uh, like official support for Seraphon 
aka lizard man characters to the game mm-hmm. aka your favorite space dream lizards mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you ever wanted to play good. a giant space lizard that when you cut them they bleed starlight um well we got you covered fam <laughs> yeah down blinding starlight mm-hmm it's very cool. So what's your highlight been, Tom? Is it one-shotting something? You do that <laughs> Probably. Quite a lot. I think that was quite fun. No, I think, um, I, I don't, it's maybe not like any one particular moment, actually, but the the struggle of playing a uh, a one-track mind lizard, or, or as I say, a not very talkative lizard, is 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 is, is interesting in its, in its uh, difficulty. <laughs> I don't know if I'm achieving it very well, but it is, uh, it's fun to think about. Yeah, you set yourself problems there, which my character, who just, like, talks all the time, quips, mm. and is just, like, really fast acting, doesn't have to. It's mm. much easier to express through those things. Uh, well, I think it's, I, it's because I often, I, used, I would traditionally play in, in well, in most, like, role-playing games, to, like, tricksy or, or magic characters, and I thought, no, you know what, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna play, like, a brute. Like, he doesn't talk very much. Um, I don't know what sort of... It, Channeling a, a mix of characters, but he doesn't say very much. But he does hit stuff really fucking hard, like really hard. But that's his one. That's his one thing. Really he doesn't do much else. But he's not also not not a dumbass. You do get to do like the teal banter, yeah, yeah, the deliberate yeah. misunderstandings. Yeah, yeah. He, I'm like he's not stupid. He just doesn't. He's not. He's not a normal mm-hmm. mortal. So he just doesn't really get it. That's been uh, that's pretty. That doesn't. That's not really a moment, though, is it? That's. Uh... I guess no. Right? It's not a moment. <laughs> my favorite thing is just playing the game. <laughs> yeah, my favorite moment. Every is moment. Every time. Yeah. yeah, my favorite moment is all the moments. No, I don't know. I what you know. I think like one turn killing the Charybdis was quite fun. I think it was one turn. Probably. Or maybe two. Yeah, um, it was one or two rounds. I think it was one turn. Yeah, killing the Mega Boss. I nearly died doing that, but that was pretty fun. Um, working out that you could do, I think, so the patient strike thing and then seizing the initiative was not intentional. I mean, I, I sort of accidentally was like, wait a second, I can wait till the end and then go immediately after again. And this, this is just good. Mm-hmm. It's just good all around. So your favorite moment was uh, trying to find which talent to pick and you're just sitting there and then this light bulb goes off above your head. <laughs> it wasn't even, it was, I think it was after the fact. I was like, what is this, this guy? Like, he just, he's meant to be a Saurus guard, so he'll wait. Patient strike, yeah, that makes sense. He'll just like wait for the opportune yeah. moment and then just like donk yeah. something. And I was like, wait a second. But if I also just like use that thinking time, like think, how can I go really fast? It's like the charge up moment before when Sonic's spinning his legs, maybe. Except if he stops immediately afterwards. But the image of your character doing the Sonic spin <laughs> is uncomfortable to me. Very confusing. <laughs> An eight foot lizard doing uh yeah. doing spinny legs, yeah. But uh, um, Elaine, you must have played a, a million games. Do you have any standout moments? Of, co- oh of course, it'll be one of one of the moments from our game, right? Yeah, mm-hmm. from Rachel's game. Yeah, uh, presumably. Yeah, it better be. pick one from our game. <laughs> I don't want to hear about the others. Okay, okay, okay. Well, there's a lot of play tests, obviously, that happen, but I'll pick one from our game. Um, <laughs> uh, I, I really dug. There was a, a wonderful moment where my um, daughters of Kane Shadowstalker who has a trust complex and has a bad habit of running off on her own to get herself near killed, found herself in an abandoned village being hounded by a pack of hounds. ten or of, of chaos hounds, yes. <laughs> um, and um, the group were kind enough to let me take the spotlight for a moment and do 
kind of a cross between John Wick slash Nightcrawler in <laughs> X-Men 2 opening yeah. White House scene where she was just running, teleporting, ambush one dog, just never stop <laughs> running, um, and then getting like slowly worn down in this fight uh, to the point where she was on the brink of death and uh, the fight ended by collapsing a building on top of the last couple of dogs. And uh, yeah, it was just this wonderfully slick, fast action that just kept kept going and kept ramping yeah. up in the tension. It was great fun. Yeah. Pick, picture John show Wick it. by just killing puppies. <laughs> oh no listen listen John they were Rick. chaos dogs they were big and nasty don't make sure. it sound like this yeah but they sure. were yeah but they were baby <laughs> oh no oh no you just killed the evil puppies is that good or bad i don't know you just turned my oh, great now there's gonna be a john wick style <laughs> chaos warrior after you <laughs> oh <Yeah>. no <laughs> uh, i think we killed him did you one shot him? The Brayherd guy, right? Maybe, maybe that was him. Wait, no, what's he called? Brayherd Chairman, maybe. I think we killed him. Yeah, I think you killed him specifically. No room for talking. Michael, what is your favourite Soulbound moment? It followed. I think in real time it was like two or maybe three weeks after that moment. And it. So my character was not taking very well to Elaine's character running out in front trying to get herself killed like not trusting us and like getting us into bad situations so like my character should be quite tanky like we don't do you know we're not super mechanical but quite clearly my character could take more of a hit um and expects to be able to do that and Elaine's character was just run out in front of my character was getting really annoyed so like two days later maybe or a day and a half later in game time literally three weeks later in real life where like every time I'd been for a walk at lunchtime I was stewing over this <laughs> conversation that was going to happen um, and having a go uh, until suddenly like Elaine your character just said something like snarky at my character I think and I just responded in character immediately <laughs> like my character just like my brain already knew what he was going to say and there was emotion in it and then I just like right okay this is when I'm having the conversation and yeah, just like we had this great in-character argument, and then I almost made myself cry. <laughs> like, this, like proper feeling came, came rushing out in this, um, and it was like, yeah, super cool. Like, not not RPG'd before, but that was like a genuine thing, and really exciting, really nice. And then a weight lifted because I no longer had this like <laughs> argument hanging over me, which I'd properly internalised. Yeah, it was another one of those moments where we talk a lot about Soulbound and how awesome it is and superheroes and raw and cutting things down and being badasses. Um, but it's also important to ensure that you give your players space and time to have those emotional moments because this was, we'd, we'd like bunkered down in the village to rest for the evening while we were waiting to like ambush. And it's like, uh, Rachel just gave us some time to do some like chill roleplay and then, and then. Uh, we, we got to have that because we had other characters interacting with children um, and, and what was it? It was our Stormcast um, player, like child asking them what it was like to be Stormcast and what it was like yeah. to be Soulbound and just those wonderful quiet moments, just like they, you know, work in your in your favorite like um, superhero movies or action movies or whatever, like those those wonderful little character moments can also really tie together characters and campaigns and be like bright spots in it so 
as much as it's fun to constantly be fighting back the hordes of chaos, uh, gotta make sure that you have a breather every now and then. Sit around a table and eat shawarma or whatever. Mm. Mm. And that's. And Rachel had that NPC ask um, Rich's Stormcast character, like, "Do they always argue like this?" <laughs> and like that stuck in my. That was such a beautiful little moment, and just like the answer, <laughs> like him having to yeah. answer that, like says so much about the relationships. It's like, really sweet. Just quickly before we have James's top moment um, uh, we should talk about endeavors before the end because that's like the game has a system for how to deal with like downtime built into it which is fantastic anyway sorry James what was your top soulbound moment I, I completely forgot when he started saying about endeavors I was just oh, like no. oh, yeah, those exist and things no I think my favorite moment um, I think it was probably the end of Michael's campaign, the short campaign which uh, Michael ran, which I really enjoyed because it was, it's kind of like the other campaign I'm in with Tom is very much like uh, we are now entering phase two or phase three of the Avengers now that we've we've done one thing, we've defeated one thing, and now we're going to go off and do something else. So it's a bit more ongoing, but having a one-shot campaign be only like four or five sessions, I can't remember how many we ended up being... But the ending fight of that, we had two sessions and there was one which ended with us starting an argument with a Lich King kind of (laughs) creature and that turning incredibly sour when Rachel's character took a sword to the head and we suddenly realised that, oh shit, we can actually really die in this situation when we just basically waltzed through everything else, insulting everyone, being absolute idiots. We kidnapped someone at one point, apparently. I didn't really notice how we did that, but we apparently did. Um, yeah, you, you told him that if he didn't come with you, you would literally kill him in front of his wife. <laughs> and then all the players were just like, I don't feel like we really threatened him. He wasn't to know it was an empty threat. <laughs> it was not empty. No, exactly. <laughs> when bants go a bit too far. It's got to be our hand. But that it really suddenly gave that whole game just this um, really, one, a great cliffhanger at the end of one session to like be like, oh no, I think we've really <laughs> cocked this up. Um, and then between sessions realising, we've got soul fire and also let's kick <laughs> some ass. Um, and then there were some other twists which uh, Mike had put in, mm-hmm. but then there would be just a retelling of the whole camp- end of the campaign. But it was very <laughs> good, and I really enjoyed it, and I thought that that was really nice. So nice. I just remembered actually my my, my favorite moment, which is not what I said before, but it actually it was it's a, it was only short. But in during an endeavor, we had um, we had my giant lizard man go and meet some other lizard people. It was nice not to be able not to have to talk like I don't know an alien <laughs> for, for, ten, for ten minutes and <laughs> be able to talk normally. <laughs> Just whilst pretending to talk to other lizards, that was that was pleasant. <laughs> yeah, my other favourite was going to be like an endeavour because like you brought in a bunch of those in like the Champions of Order book, I think, and certainly in the other like the publications, which is like adventures in new places, they have them. Um, and like you brought in some like gambling ones, but like my character is very like prone to do like gambling. He'd already just been doing those as like sort of scene setting. But like, what I particularly wanted was like not gambling as um, like just a way of making money or something. It really needed to be. He needed to go on this arc of like makes a lot of money and then loses probably all of the money and probably gets hurt. Um, so I'd put together a few mechanical things and sent mm-hmm. them to Rach and was like, "Can you run this?" Thing? That was so much yeah. fun. Just like um, 
Uh, so to uh, explain what endeavors are is like every so often, every like at the after each adventure that your party has, you're going to have like a downtime session where all of your players pick like what their character does with their like week off or whatever. Um, and it could be something like I go and meditate or I go and do some training or in uh, Michael's case, he came up with a um, like his whole like sort of like mini adventure um, where uh, he was gonna um, like it was up to me to put like the sort of um, the theming on the bones of it but it was uh, basically like he he went into a gambling den did some gambling and then uh, he he won a lot of money from that but he pushed his luck a bit or something and he ended up with some broken fingers and uh, then uh, he went to part in like a, a flying bird race um, and won lots of money but also lost lots of money and that sort of thing it was it was just really cool um and so you have like this session where you're kind of like challenging the players to come up with like adding a little bit more depth to their characters by saying like what do they do when they're not in the middle of an adventure trying to save the world like our group's already like it mentioned earlier like elaine you mentioned how like the rest of the group perfectly happy for you to take like a decent amount of the camera when you were having like your john wick moment and like it was genuine and no one was worried about that and there's an amount you do that during like normal games but like endeavors are properly like you split the party and you get your amount of time and you can really take the limelight if you want it you can just like take one of them and it's just like you know rachel put a few lines around it and give it some theming and stuff but like mm. it felt like a nice opportunity okay because i had another one where i was meditating under the sea and i tied it into like my skill progressions and was like what does me improving my mind by one point look like? And this was like after the argument, so I'd sort of tied it into like, oh, what's my character that? It needs some time to sit under the sea. It did. It's yeah. also an opportunity for characters to sort of like progress their personal stories a little bit. Um, so like what one time uh, Elaine's character went and killed a guy, which inadvertently caused a miniature civil war. Um. <laughs> it was fine. <laughs> nothing, nothing bad came of that at all. I got us out of it. It's fine. Yeah, those lies yeah, are fine. absolutely concrete and will never crumble yeah. and come back to bite us in the butt yeah. in a later game. Yeah. <laughs> nice. Okay. Well, uh, perhaps um, final thing to perhaps think about, or maybe maybe uh, this is not really to do with Soulbound, but what sort of things? If people like Soulbound, what else might people like? Uh no idea. Being ideas. cool. I'm going to say. They'll like being cool people because <laughs> that's what people okay. who like Soulbound like. Are there any other systems them. that people would recommend that are sort of uh, uh, almost as good? Uh, I personally, I'm a very new TTRPG player, really, when it comes to it. I've basically played Soulbound the most. And I think it's a really great on ramp, maybe, to some more complex ones because that's what I'm definitely feeling. Like, oh, well, other than feeling that, damn, I should get in on this GMing some Soulbound game <laughs> as the only person who hasn't GMed a game in this <laughs> chat right now. Um, but also it sounds real fun. Um, I, I've played more like Fiasco and things and I really enjoy Fiasco, but you need to get the right group of players together and have a lot of social um, bonds between you, I guess. It's very hard to one, it feels hard to one shot that with some people who you don't know because it's a very, very loose improv game, really, when you start thinking about it. Um, but that's a nice, just like intro to what role playing could be. And particularly if you, while Fiasco doesn't 
really have a GM. If you do help GM it along, it's a lot better in more awkward groups, I've found. Um, so yeah, I would recommend that as like a, if you've never, 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 never done a TTRPG before and you want to just know what it's like to roll some dice and then tell a story together, that's probably me. Nice. There is also, uh, if you do like the setting of Soulbound, there is uh, a small game called um, Warhammer Age of Sigma. We can actually have models. Maybe you could make a model of your Soulbound. I don't think it's officially supported yet, he says, but uh, that could be cool. You can you can play that and read books about it, generally, because it's great. I've heard of some people using the battle games. Uh, is it General's Handbook? You can make heroes. Mm. I've heard of some people making. Oh, the, the Anvil of Apotheosis. Yeah, I've heard of people making. Yeah, soul yeah, that's a really good challenge. If we ever, if we ever manage to get our party together to play in person, I would love it if we all had miniatures of our characters and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. That'd be yeah, sick. That'd be very cool. I've made. I have made. Or <laughs> undercoat. Imagine you have he is plenty of Saurus spear bits. <laughs> I well, actually didn't, funny enough. I had my very specific uh, requirements for what it was going to be. I didn't have them. I do now. All right. Grand. Well, let's uh, bring this Caradron Sky Frigate to the Skyport. It's a tortured way of saying it. let's bring the ship to harbour. Where can people find Tiny Plastic People? It's at tinyplasticpeople.com. I hope you've enjoyed I've done this uh, all last backwards, really, but never mind. <laughs> Hope you've enjoyed this podcast. We're just going to talk about Soulbound forever, to be, yeah. to be honest. It's not going to be the last time it comes up on the pod. I'm not going to apologise for that. It was really good. I enjoyed this podcast. So. Well, yeah. I, I certainly enjoyed talking about uh, Soulbound. And will never not enjoy talking about Soulbound. Um, thanks, everybody, for, for joining us. Um, where can we find individual people? Should uh, people, listeners wish to find out more about you, James? You can find me on uh, Instagram at Alone Music UK, and you can find me on Twitter at Alone underscore Music. Nice, Rachel. Um, you can find me on Twitter at Nershly N E R S H L Y. Nice, Elaine. Uh, if you want to find me, you can find me very imaginatively. I am at Elaine Lithgow on Twitter. Um, also, Cubicle Seven. Uh, if you want to follow. Cubicle 7 for all of the wonderful updates for Soulbound and Wrath and Glory and Warfrop and all these other wonderful games. Um, you can find them at Cubicle 7 Games, I think they are, on Twitter. But there we are. Nice. Mike? I'm Rogue underscore Michael on Twitter. I only really tweet when I finish a model. So, not frequently, but I won't clog up your timeline. <laughs> but, that's, but that's quality content that people, you know, that, want, that they want yeah, to see. You can they set a notification cast. for that. Yeah. 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 And have it not be intrusive. That, yeah, nice. That's my brand. Great. Uh, I, I on Instagram and Twitter uh, at TN Dines, D I N E S, I think. Yes. I don't, to be <laughs> honest, I don't really remember. I don't re- use these very often. Um, if you want to get in touch with Tiny Plastic People, you can email the podcast and the website at thetinyplasticpeople at gmail.com. And with that, I guess we'll say thanks for joining us. Place all bound and uh, catch you on the other side. Bye. 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 Bye.